fan. Programming on the fan, brought to you in part by Prism Research. Right, feel, and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop. Steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 30. No, 10. Touchdown. Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis miracle. Stephon Diggs and the Minnesota Vikings have walked up on the New Orleans Saints. It's a 61-yard Minneapolis miracle. Nine to noon radio, sneaking up on 11 o'clock. Very happy to have Minnesota Vikings offensive lineman Jeremiah Searles in studio uh, for a hot tick here this final hour on this Tuesday. Mike Zimmer's uh, midweek press conference takes place tomorrow. Offensive lineman Matt Burke, former uh, Super Bowl winner with the uh, with the Baltimore Ravens, makes his weekly stop into the nine to noon production tomorrow. Uh, a lot of festive things transpiring up to the NFC Championship game. Vikings and Eagles Sunday, 5.40 on the fan. The pregame begins at 3.30, and uh, Jeremiah will be at Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, Do you think being at Lincoln Financial Field, you will be fending the challenges of these Philly fans? You know, that I hear these Philly fans, like I had a guest earlier, and he's the sideline reporter for the Philadelphia Eagles radio network. Done it forever. Wears fur coats during games, has chains, he says members of the team wear dog masks, and he's like, I'm talking to him about Vikings fans coming to the game, and he's like, well, I mean, Philly's a tough guy town, you know, but a lot of there are like ten to fifteen thousand people in the stands who wear dog masks because I guess offensive lineman Lane Johnson and defensive end Chris Long kind of started it recently. So he's like, if somebody does something bad to a Vikings fan, they're wearing masks, so you, you can't see who they are. That's ridiculous. The whole thing sounds ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. I, I mean, I saw the dog mask. I thought the dog mask things was because they were called the underdogs. Is that am I am I wrong? That's is, exactly is that what, what it was. Not one hundred percent. It began in that Falcons game. And by the way, not to uh, discuss point spreads too deeply with uh, somebody compensated by the NFL. But the Vikings are favored by three points in this game, so they're dogs again. Here come the masks. Here come the masks. They're going to be all over the place. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm talking. My parents are going. Uh, my wife's going. So I mean, this is something that. I hope Philly fans, obviously, they're going to root for their team. They're going to be their passionate fans that they always are. But at the same time, like I hope that they're respectful yeah. to our our families. And, I mean, our fans that are going to travel and go there. I mean, this is, it is, it's the football, it's a football game. It's the NFC Championship. It's the biggest yeah. game of all my career and a lot of our guys' careers. And we want our families there. We want our wives there yeah. to support us and be with us. So hopefully the Philly fans can calm themselves down and respect our fans and then it, just put everything they have negative. They can just throw it at us on the field. It's it's my experience over the years, including, and I've been to Philadelphia several times for Vikings-Eagles games, including a playoff game following the 2004 season where the Vikings lost in the divisional round to Andy Reid's Eagles, is if your family goes, and even if they're wearing all their purple 75s and all of their purple stuff and everything, people are cool with that until fans start talking bleep. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go there... It's a 6.30 Eastern game, 6.40. If you've been drinking, you're feeling good about yourself, your squad opens up 7-0, and you start talking trash, mm-hmm. that's when you get in trouble a little bit. Oh, absolutely. That's with anything in life. You get the beer muscles, you get the beer <laughs> goggles going, you think you're yeah. untouchable, and then you, 
you look around at two in the morning and there's no one around the bar anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. when that's when things can get that's when things get bad. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited, man. I mean, that's a fun place to play. I mean, it is. I mean, it's loud and hostile. But those environments, they're fun to play in. I yeah. Mean, big time game, big time stage, night game, NFC championship. I mean, yeah. the environment's gonna be absolutely electric. But I, I can't imagine it being more electric than what US Bank was this last because that was I mean, that was something I've never been a part of. Jeremiah, why when you came in studio was it important for you to sit in that chair and talk into that <laughs> microphone? Um, I don't I'm I'm not a big creature of change. Yeah. And last time I came in and we yeah. sat down, I sat in this chair and you're goofy. And I sat and talked in this microphone and yeah. we won. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'll sit right here and I will talk right into this microphone. But for whatever the reason, that microphone, pardon the pun, has a tendency to go limp, like you got to hold it up a little bit. It's not as erect as some of these other <laughs> microphones we have here. So you keep you keep fiddling with that microphone, man. Hey, you know it's what? It's a distraction. We don't need distractions. We do not need distractions, but at the same time, we don't need change either. It's the same. we just got to go through the week like it's it's another game. We yeah. can't we can't have change, man. Well, too you much got, change is too too many distractions. But you got distractions already. Absolutely. Fa- family going to the road game. Yeah, that's all right. They're taking care of that. Mom and dad know. They know, and the wife knows that it's time to lock in. It's time to go, and they can they can figure it out. They're they're big girl and boys. What do you mean? I mean the the time you have between getting to the hotel and meetings and time between meetings, then the snack, and then the curfew at probably eleven. What if there's like, but babe. There's a bar down there. <laughs> but babe. <laughs> but babe, how come you're hanging out more with Pat Elfline than you are me? Uh, she she loves Pat. We all love Pat. But Everyone babe, Pat. you get to hang out with these guys all year. How come I can't have some special time? What about me? Oh, uh, I know. We'll we'll get we have a lot of special time. We always usually go on a trip in the off season. So that time is coming. Yeah. She's aware, but you this, get it. There it is. She understands. She's the best. She keeps me put together. Uh what was your tech situation and Twitter like Sunday? After the Minneapolis miracle, it was it was crazy. Uh, you got back. To, I mean, we all got back to our phones in the locker room, and everyone's freaking out and going crazy. And I'm, I mean, I looked down at my phone, and it was like sixty five text messages. I was yeah. like, I don't even know if I know sixty five people anymore. Like, wasn't I, it like a slot machine? Yeah, it just and then like I didn't even look. Facebook was just ridiculous. Went through like a hundred <laughs> some. Like it was just unbelievable. And like what was crazy is even my parents were like getting texts from people they didn't even know had their numbers anymore. Like it was just it was so cool to be a part of something like that. That. People you went to high school with or went to elementary school with or teachers that taught you when you were third grade or texting you like, man, that was so cool to watch and yeah. see. And like, it just, it, it just, it, it shows you what sports can bring for outside of like the sport world. It brings yeah. other people into your world for a brief moment in time. That was yeah. so cool to see something like that. And I mean, Case said it best on, uh, he, we were talking in the locker room on a Monday morning. And he was like, oh, yeah, you find out who uh, the people that still have your numbers after games like this. <laughs> like, you just get the text message from the random number yeah. that you don't have saved. It's like, man, best friend, that was <laughs> awesome to see. That's great. But it was great. I mean, Case was showing us his phone. He still had, like, over 300 messages that he hadn't even opened. Oh, yeah. I couldn't imagine what Diggs' phone looked like. Hey, uh, but, you know, popularity of the NFL, it's second to none when it comes to all sports. And college football was incredibly exciting this year. The national championship game is ob- is obviously fantastic pretty much every year. And I-, I don't like to knock popularity of other sports because, hey, this is the state of hockey, man. we got a lot of people listening right now where, like, college hockey is their favorite bit, you know, because they grew up with it. Whatever. Teach their own. But, like, through Trump's the president, there go the ratings. Uh, people kneeling for the anthem, there go the ratings. And and just a lot of uh, things that I've read over the last year and change about NFL ratings on Thursday night, this, NFL, whatever, whatever. 
46 million people watched your game. That's insane. 46 million people at one point of the Minneapolis Miracle game were watching that game. So it's like if you, okay, if it's Thursday night between the freaking Titans and the Texans, and it's not Deshaun Watson against whomever, and the game sucks, nobody's going to watch it. Mm -hmm. But if you give them entertainment like you guys and the Saints provided this weekend, um, 46 million people will watch it and not leave it. Absolutely. I mean, that's it was. <clears throat> I think that you're exactly right. The the quality of the games in the playoff. I mean, playoff football. My dad has said it ever since he we are we were young. His favorite weekend of football of the year is championship weekend. Yeah, AFC championship, NFC championship. Because sometimes the Super Bowl never really pans out to be the game that everyone. Because there's always just yeah. so much hype. They've been two close weeks. lately, though. Yeah, they have. But like, there's always the two week like to where the hype almost yeah. builds greater than the game, so to speak. Yeah. But like NFC champion the championship weekend is his favorite weekend of football. Yeah. And I think that the playoff football in general, just I mean, it it, it just gets dialed up another notch. I mean, yeah. during season, guys are playing and they're getting, but like. You're no longer really playing for like money at this point. At this point, it's all about going and building a legacy, doing something special, doing something that no one can take away from you ever. Yeah. I mean, going and being a world champion in one of the biggest stages in the world with one of the biggest sports in the in our country at least. And I think I mean, even with now football is more worldwide than it's ever been. Yeah. I mean, with the London trips, with Mexico trips, I mean, it's such a worldwide thing that the ratings, like you said, I think are just going to continue to skyrocket because the games have been really good too. I yep. mean, that Eagles or the Eagles Atlanta game was really good. The, yep. the AFC games were good. Kansas City, te- uh, I mean, Patriots did what the Patriots did with Tennessee there. But I mean, it's just they've been good games, and I just continue to think they're going to go. And forty-six million people—that is crazy, unbelievable, unbelievable. I'm tripping right now. Uh, what um, you were here in 2015, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're like, uh, you're like, you know, now it's not about the money. Okay, uh, whatever. I mean, you guys play to get paid. Yeah. I mean, after Blair missed that kick in 2015, I mean, there was the range of emotions in that locker room were like people like looking at the kicker going. Oh, my God, you're not even at practice all the time. Sometimes you leave and we don't see you for an hour. Then you come back. We see you for 10 minutes. Then you're gone again. Um, To people being like, that miss just cost each of us whatever for playing in the divisional round next week. So, I mean, it's uh, this whole NFL thing is a big financial, emotional, um, emotional poker game, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, like, it's not just an emotional poker game for us as players. I mean, it's our whole families. I mean, the financial end, too. I mean, this is how we support our families. This is how we, like, have houses. This is how we do things. And so, I mean, my dad was telling me the story of my wife just had both her hands, like, both her head, like, her head down in both of her hands, just, like, just sitting there. They were just like, what, like, what, like, uh, another one of my friends was there. Mm. And she was like, what do we need to do? What do you need me here? And she's like, just tell me we can do it. That's like, awesome. that's all I need to hear. Just tell me we can do it. And yes. my wife said, looked up and was like, we can do it. Yes. I mean, so the emotional roller coaster goes for them because they got to deal. I mean, she's got to deal with me when I come home and I'm either an emotional wreck from yeah. win, lose, draw. Or, I mean, and if and, you started and played 75 plays, you're beaten up. Oh, yeah. You can't move. I yep. mean, she's seen it. I mean, they see the behind the scenes and our families are the ones that really take care of us emotionally at that point. But I mean, Joe, I can remember talking to Joe Berger, and he's like, "Dude, I'm getting too old for this. Like, my blood pressure is too high. Like, my heart, my my heart's gonna beat out of my chest. Like, and he's just, he just. I mean, he was a guy that like you could see the emotions going through his yeah. head a lot. Yeah, but you guys have it easy. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you have it easy. I mean, I just talked to a Super Bowl champion from the mid-'80s, an offensive oh, lineman yeah. named Billard for Super Bowl stories. You know, they uh, they put on pads two to two and a half times during the course of the week, and, you know, there are more injuries now because you guys just are different injuries because you're not practicing as, as physically. So you, you guys have it easy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's we're not practicing. I mean, I guess we're not as physical. I mean, in the 80s, I don't really remember seeing guys like Fletcher Cox or I don't really think guys like Linville Joseph existed back then. But, I mean, I'm looking at, I saw a tweet the other day from like an 18-year-old, like five-star recruit who's like 6'8", 295 pounds. Looks oh like he's 40 God. years old. It's yeah. like, no, no, that's the reason people are getting hurt because this dude can probably run like a 4'6". Right. And they're just like, all right, yeah, get as big and strong and powerful and then run into each other as yeah. fast as you can. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the amount of like physicality at practice. Vikings me, Vikings offensive physical. lineman Jeremiah Searle started at right tackle when the Vikings played the Eagles last season. Uh, we're going to chat about that experience and uh, continue to uh, have a confab on football with one of my favorites. Uh, Jeremiah Searles is in studio back after this. You're listening to PA. Tuesdays are like... Pain in the ass day, you know that, right? On the fan. Programming on the fan brought to you in part by Sport Clips. And do this. Stop by your local Twin Cities Circle K store for your chance to text to win $3,000 cash for your big game party. Fueled by Circle K. Head to KFAN.com. Keyword Circle K for more info. How many texts did you get from him following the Minneapolis Miracle? Who? Jebediah. I Jeb- always love that one. Your brother from uh, <laughs> your brother from the Nebraska cannabis farm. Cannabis. <laughs> probably not right for an NFL player. Uh, from the uh, the the Nebraska the Amish farm. The, the butter churning factory. <laughs> Thank you. There it is. That's yeah. what you were looking for. Well, yeah, because um, I don't know if you're familiar with Sage Rosenfels, former not. Vikings quarterback, former Vikings backup quarterback. He was Favre's backup in '09. Um, Sage out of Iowa State played in the NFL for like 10, 11, 12 years. Okay. Um, and he'll come in. He was in with me yesterday. He'll come in studio periodically, and he's a smart guy, but he grew up on some type of Iowa Amish type pot, like pot producing farm or something. Um, and um, it was a compound. Yeah, it was a a, some kind of compound where he has a hippie vibe to him that I really, really enjoy. Hey, there's nothing wrong with hippies, man. So you, um, so from Jebediah, you got a few texts. What about the other one? Mm, Hezekiah. I always love that. <laughs> or was he at the game? Because like they close. I was thinking about you walking <laughs> over to the game. They closed the purple and gold lots to start getting ready for the Super Bowl. Okay. So I was wondering where would Hezekiah park his his horse and buggy. Oh, and the, well, with the snow on the ground, it made it really hard for the horses to eat. So I think that they just walked. <laughs> yeah, I know. I and think then, they just had to use their super shoes. Uh, Sean Payton, coach of the uh, New Orleans Saints, he mocked the skull chant right before the the digs play. Now you know the uh, uh, nine to noon producer was like like in, in chatting earlier. He was like, "I'm surprised he would do that." And then I was like, "This is the coach." who, after they swept Carolina and beat them three times in a row, brought a freaking broom into the locker room for everybody to see so he can let them know, hey, we swept you three times in a row. How in the hell can you be a leader of a Super Bowl-winning team and mock somebody's fan base with something like that? You know what I mean? I, I mean, I get it to a point. I, I mean, I get it. It was a way for him to, like, fire up his team maybe. I don't know. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it can just go so horribly wrong, and it did. It's a major jackass move. Yeah, it's not cool, and it went so horribly wrong. And, uh, I mean, 
I was just trying to think. I mean, I, so I was in the 2015 team when Blair missed that field goal, and we were in the locker room, and I can remember the feeling of like the air just being pulled out of your body at that point. That was an angry feeling in that locker room. I could not imagine the Saints locker room after that game. Yeah, I see. I, I, I mean, can. as I mean, a player, yeah. as a player going and like trying to think what those players were going through at that time, like it's a different sadness. Deal. Sadness. I mean. You, you talk about like our range of emotions. They were riding as high as you could possibly be riding, and then just had the whole world pulled out from underneath them. If you had been here in 2009 when we lost at the Superdome in overtime to the New Orleans mm-hmm. Saints and the whole Bounty Gate thing, mm. where you know cheating, despicable defensive coordinator Greg Williams really instructed the best way to beat Brett Favre is to cut the head off the beast. So you got defensive linemen high lowing him, as you would say in the business, yeah, purposely. And there weren't there weren't many roughing the passer. I think there might have been one or two called, but they got him. You know, safety Darren Sharper was in jail now. Damn he speared he speared him. I mean, it, it was by design. It was cheating. It was bounty gate, and they had to pay for it. And Sean Payton got suspended for a year. So that uh, now, when they lost that game, though, you know, because Favre Favre was, was you know he basically came out of retirement to play. Yeah, and he had one of the great seasons in the history of quarterbacks in the NFL. But he really aged during that year. It was just a tough, tough year to get to that point of the NFC title game. And you know then, but the 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 some of the key players on the team were really young. Jared Allen was relatively young in his career. Adrian Peterson, Percy Harvin, Sidney Rice. They were all young guys, and they all looked up to Brett. And that was a real treat of that year was some of your best players, skill-wise, were super young. And then you had, like, Steve Hutchinson, who might be a Hall of Famer, who had the highest level of respect for Brett. So you just melded all of that together, and it was the proverbial perfect storm. And then you lose on a field goal in overtime, and it's over. The tears shed in that locker room. I'm hoping, honestly, is something I never professionally see again. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the, it's like you said, the, the sports. It's what it's our life. It's what we live for, and to have something like that happen, it's hurts. It's and, and a lot of people don't understand. They see it on Sunday, and like you see all these fan reaction videos of these fans going nuts. But yeah. I mean, that's our life. Yeah. I mean, that is what we live for 365 days out of the year. Yeah, and I mean to have stuff like that happens. Like I felt for the players, but at the same time, I was so excited for us. Hezekiah, um, how did you react on the sideline when the rookie safety blew it and Diggs got behind him and there he goes? I threw my helmet <laughs> and I just ran straight to the offensive line. Yes. I didn't even run. Everyone was running that way and I just ran straight out and I would hug anyone that would hug me, man. Joe, Riley, Mike, Pat, Rashad. We all were just like at the 50. I know I haven't seen any pictures, but we're all just at the 50 yard line, just like hitting each other, just yeah. going nuts. So, how did Riley Reef react? I mean, he's the most chill human being he with just, whom I've worked in he, a decade and a half. He just kept saying, like, did that just happen? Yes. Like, did that really just happen? And Joe was looking at me with his big, wide eyes. He didn't take his helmet off. <laughs> Joe still had his helmet on. And he was looking Michigan around. Tech, Greg, he, he's trying to calculate the percent chance. Dude, no one, no one believed what was going on. Yeah. Like, everyone was just, I, I couldn't. No one, like, it still doesn't feel like, I wish I could vividly remember everything, but it was all happening so yeah. quickly. My favorite part, so we had to take a knee, right? Yeah. So everyone's everywhere. It's pandemonium. Like, everyone's crying. Things are going nuts. And the, the, I just, the refs running around grab people, like, guys, we have to kick the extra point. Like, get off the field. That's awesome. And I was like, and so Shermer grabbed me. He's like, dude, just go out there. Report as the tight end. Like, go out there. I was like, I don't have a helmet. 
<laughs> like they had taken my helmet. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I need a helmet. Yeah. Like I need a helmet. So I just run up to one of the equipment guys like, dude, just give me a helmet. <laughs> so he hands me a helmet and I put it on. And this is the biggest helmet I've ever, it was, it was Linville's helmet. <laughs> Dude, I put this helmet on, and it's just, I mean, I'm grabbing the face mask. It's buckled, and it's just going everywhere, right? It's just going everywhere. And so I'm like, all right, whatever. Run out onto the field. And the first person that ran out for the Saints was their punter. Mm-hmm. The punter with the broken ribs, right? Yeah. So he runs by us. He's nose guarding. He just stands there. He goes, what's up, fellas? <laughs> Literally, that's what he said. And we were it's like, chill. just he was just like. Well, the painkiller killers yeah, had set dude, in from the broken, broken ribs. Broken ribs, ran out there. First one out there, just, what's up, fellas? Yeah. And we were like, hey, man, like. Thanks for coming out, I guess. Bro, like, I what know. about your guy with the broken ribs? He broke them early in the first quarter. Dude, I think. I I'm, think I think he broke them on the Sheryl's tackle, right? Like he did. the first punt. Yes. Yeah. But he kept going, man. Good for I mean, that's a decent that's well, a punters football are guy. underrated league. That's top. a diesel guy. That no light beers for that guy. <laughs> that is a one hundred percent bud heavy type of punter. Anybody get weird on the sidelines? Like if you look back at some video or you think back, was anybody like weird? I mean, it was the first time I'd seen Tony smile for an extended <laughs> period of time. Like <laughs> Ever, I mean, that, like from like the time he caught it to the time like yeah. I didn't see him out of the locker room, he was still smiling. I have a actually, I've, I've I've only chatted with Tony a few times this year. You know, he just he's so immersed in his business, and the closer you get to games, you know more about this than me. Seems to be a very nervous going individual. He just he just he he's, he he just cares about it so much. He gets a little nervous up. So I just I keep my distance from Tony Sperano. You know, he but the the way. The way I get him to smile when I see him at the hall in the hallways of Winter Park, and it's a bad accent, but I will with his name Tony Sperano, I will always say, "Mr. Sperano, <laughs> it's my pleasure chatting with you," and something like that, and, and it'll get him to smile a little bit. Oh yeah, he you the mafioso vibe. The we always used to joke during training camp, like the only time Tony would smile is when his grandkids were there. Yeah, it's so, like we'd come out to pre practice and we'd see Tony like chasing after his grandkids. We'd be like, "Oh, thank." God, we'd be like, he's in a good mood today. Like he's gonna be happy. Like we'd come over, he'd start messing with us. So, like yeah. the running joke through training camp. Like if there was a day that like we knew we had some problems or we had some things to work through, we'd be like, so uh, mm-hmm. hey, Tony, your your grandkids coming today? Yeah, <laughs> your grandkids coming this week? He's like, no, right. another Jacksonville. You sure? Like <laughs> <laughs> that's a good bit to break the ice. Yeah, but I mean, everyone on the sideline, like. I love watching that video that they did because the amount of faces that are just like I love it. They don't even know what to do. Love it. Like cases, case when he first sees Kimberly, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Like just no one knew what to do. Yeah. Like no one ever thought like how 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 do you react? Like yeah. what's the proper reaction to that? No one knew. Now with uh, with your offensive line, uh, the players, the coaches, and everything. This is a name not many know, but I've gotten to know him quite well this year. Andrew Janoko. Uh, he's Tony's assistant. Yep. Um, and and I've, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong here, he works, um, well, I mean, you, you can play tackle or guard. I mean, you're position flexibility guy, but doesn't he work with, like, the interior of the line or something? There's a nickname. Um, not Smurfs. Um, turtles. Turtles. The Thank Ninja you. Turtles. Ninja Turtles. That's what it is. Yeah. The Ninja Turtles. Yep. So he works with the Turtles. Yep, he does. So when we split up and we do, like, Tony will take the tackles, he'll take the guards. Uh, but, yeah, we called them the Turtles because <laughs> during, uh, we, well, originally it was the Smurfs. Because in training camp, it was Danny Azadora, mm-hmm. Pat Fline, Nick Easton. Yeah. Average, like, <laughs> the average height was, like, <laughs> great visual. 6'1", yeah. like, 325. Yeah. And Nick brings that up a lot. So we used to call them the Turtles, <laughs> like the Ninja Turtles, because they was just, like, or the Smurfs, because they would, like, That's so right. you had Rashad, yeah. 6'8", yeah. Nick, 6'1", yeah. Pat, 6'1", Danny, like, 6'2", yeah. 
And then you'd have uh, Remmers. Riley 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, R- Remmers was like 6'4". So, yeah. like, it literally would just be this big, like, awesome. U-shape. But yeah, I mean, Janoko is, like, he runs the computer. He runs, if Tony needs something, hey, hey, can you pull up, blah, blah, blah. He yeah. pulls it up, and he's great with his job. He's helped us a lot. Like, he's the guy that will be watching film and be like, hey, something looks funny on this, and you text him, and he'll be like, hey, mm-hmm. get it fixed for you right away. And he's been a big help in the room and really helped us with our preparation a lot. 2016, Vikings uh, lose to the Philadelphia Eagles 21-10. Minnesota was 5-0. I think you had just come off a bye. Uh, The offensive line was in a little turmoil at that stage in that T.J. Clemming started at left tackle. There had been some injuries. Jake Long had just been added. Khalil was lost for the season. Um, and that you know that that kind of started some 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 weirdness with with some things, including Norv Turner, and you know then when you would go to Chicago, lose the tough one, Norv would resign, and Shermer jumps in the whole thing. Um, you started that October game at Lincoln Financial Field. What do you remember about the game? You started at right tackle, and specifically number fifty five for the Eagles, Brandon Graham, defensive end. Yeah, I remember he's a guy that. For some reason, league-wide doesn't get a ton of recognition. And Absolutely you can, you agree. Can, you can talk to a lot of offensive linemen. I mean, I remember watching the Eagles game. I was on Twitter, and guys like TJ Lang, Kyle Long, like notable O-linemen guys were like, keep an eye on 55. Like, he is a good player. And you just watch him, and he doesn't he doesn't have the flash that some of these guys do that are always there, but he's always around the ball. Yeah. And I just he's a good player, solid player that has my respect as a player because I've played against him. And he does some things that are unorthodox. I mean, he's a smaller guy. He's yep. short, but he's a very powerful guy. And so he's really a guy that you have to find ways to prepare for during the week because he's not the normal defensive end that you see week in and week out. Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtle guy. Dust he, off he, a couple of turtles, fit, put him in tackle. He'd fit right in there with the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. I mean, he'd, he'd put him in there. So, I mean, their whole defensive front in general are guys that you have to prepare for yeah. individually. Are they all unorthodox or just him? Like, he, like Fletcher Cox, the, the defensive tackle, the three technique. Like, like, is he big? Is he tall? Like, what's his deal? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he's big. I know he's big. He's big. And he's, he's tall. But he's fast, But he right? can move. Yeah. I mean, that's the type of thing. And, I mean, but it seems like every week we've had one of these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about it a little last week. This week, Cameron Jordan. Last week was Cameron Jordan. Yeah, Cameron's good. Week before was Akeem Hicks. I mean, it's the NFL. Yeah. But, I mean, this is, this is a good front that we need to be able to make sure that we can dictate what we want to do and stay on schedule. Yeah. Because this is a front that feasts on third and long. I mean, they have pass rushers all across the board. I mean, yeah. they could put. I mean, you got guys who aren't starting like uh, Long, for example. Yeah. I mean, Long has been in this league, won a Super Bowl, and he's not even starting. But yeah. so they know that they're keeping him fresh to bring in for third down. Yeah. Guys like Vinny Curry, who are another guy that goes under the radar on the other side. Timmy Jernigan. I mean, Fletcher Cox. These are guys that are very solid players that we need to make sure that we can stay on schedule and we can dictate the tempo as far as what we want to do offensively. Their nose tackle is Minnesotan. Uh, he went to Minnetonka High School. His name's Bo Allen. Oh, my gosh. Funny story quick about Bo Allen. So he played at Wisconsin. Yeah. I played against him a few times. We played together at the Shrine Bowl my senior year. Mm-hmm. We're going to get drug tested at the uh, <laughs> at the Big Ten Championship when we're playing Wisconsin in 2012, I'm going to say. Okay. So Wisconsin, we're sitting on the bus getting ready to pull in. I don't know who Bo Allen is from yeah. anyone at this point. Got it. The Wisconsin bus is pulling out of the stadium as we're pulling in. And I could never, me and my buddy are sitting in the front of the bus and we're looking into the Wisconsin bus. And there's this dude with long hair yeah. and like just a stocking cap just sitting at the front. And we stop and he looks at us and just waves. 
<laughs> just gives the the dead eye wave. Yeah. And we're like, who is that dude? Yeah. And he just did it for like 30 seconds. Wow, like just a Halloween character. Yeah, just, but like with a smile on his face, but the dead eyes. Yeah. And he just was waving. And so we were like, who is so after the game, he went up to him. He's like, I don't know. I just felt like waving. And yeah, I, right. got to, I got to talk with him at the Shrine Bowl. Hysterical dude. Great guy. Yeah. I mean, he's got, if you follow him on Twitter, if you don't, he's a great follow. He's hysterical. Like he'll post like modeling beach selfies of himself <laughs> without a shirt on. Brilliant. Hysterical. But he's a solid player. I did not know he was a Minnesotan. How, um, so like, how did they play defense? I mean, you're an elite football mind. I'm not. So Jim Schwartz is their defensive coordinator. And I'm watching back Atlanta-Philadelphia last night on NFL Network, TV copy, and I watched it when it was live, but I want to start memorizing numbers and stuff. And I heard Chris Collinsworth talk a lot about something I've heard, wide nine, okay? Mm -hmm. So I know it's a gap thing, Mm -hmm. but, like, the wide nine, what does it mean? And, like, what advantage can you get playing a wide nine? So the wide nine, so it's it's considered a nine technique. So you can go from... The center out to the tackle, right over the center, a defensive technique that's right over the center is a zero. Okay. Then you go a shade, one, this is going to sound weird, inside the guard, two eye, on the guard, two, Got outside it. three, blow on so, and then you get to the tight end. What and happened to gap lettering? Uh, like well, that's Zimmer? A gap, B gap, C gap. I see. But then there's other like shades kind of okay. mess with it. And then so they got all the way out to the tight end, and then when you get on the tight end, all the coaches got drunk. And it goes six, seven, nine. It makes no sense. Six technique is inside the tight end. Seven techniques on the tight end. Nine techniques outside the tight end. Makes Brilliant. no sense. But, but like way outside. Way sometimes. outside is the right. wide nine. And what you do is when you you want to set the edge of a defense. Oh. You don't want to let. You don't want to get scooped. You don't want guys to get outside of you. So you That's set the sexy. edge with a wide nine. Whoa. You put a guy out there, and then it helps in the pass game when you have guys that are fast. Yeah. That can get there. If you move a guy out an extra couple steps, he's got to be able to make up those steps. And get there. How is a condom company not named its product Y9? Y9. I always love that one. <laughs> I mean, forget all the traditional names and everything. It's a brilliant name. It is. The Y9. Don't get the edge set. Jeremiah Searles is in studio. And in the final segment, we're going to continue to chat Philadelphia Eagles football and um, also get into um, uh, some things Vikings related with Mr. Jeremiah Searles. Plus, 9 to Noon also has a recommendation for a name not only for these segments, but uh, the potential of Jeremiah and I doing a lot of work together for many years. We'll see if he likes it. Back after this. You're listening to PA. When Muhammad Ali was down, did you count him out? When Jiminy Cricket was down, did you count him out? This is the game, Doug! Woo! On the fan. I can't wait. I can't wait until tomorrow. I can't wait for Sunday. But check this out on Saturday, January 20th. Just a few days from now, you can stop by the Minneapolis Boat Show. January 20th this Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. Find the captain, Billy Hildebrand. Billy will roam the floor and tweet clues about his location at the Boat Show. If you find him, you can win tickets to various local events. More info at MinneapolisBoatShow.com. But it could be too late. I'm ready to smile, but for a long while, wouldn't take much to get me down. Uh, we have an incredibly important clarification to make as uh, Amish families go. Uh oh. Sage Rosenfels is listening to 9 to Noon. His brother's name is not Jebediah, it's Jeremiah. Mm. And they grew up on a rhubarb farm. It was rhubarb, in that's Iowa. right. Yes. So that that aggressive compound you put him on, that was not the case. 
pot farm, rhubarb farm. It's yeah, it, it was a rhubarb farm. Well, was um, it fenced in? Yeah, it was fenced in, and and they again, I mean, no no electricity, just everything was wholesome and hardcore Amish. Uh, but I just had the type of farm wrong. Uh, it was a rhubarb farm, uh, not not too much different than um, than um, Jeremiah's brother um, Hezekiah uh, with um, his rhubarb farm in uh, just outside, I believe, Kearney, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. North Platte. It's between North Platte North, and North Grand Platt, Island. North Platte and Grand Island. Yeah, north of the highway. Yeah. The uh, a little known fact is the Searles family, uh, specifically led by Hezekiah. Very big at Fonner Park in Grand Island. Uh, Hezekiah was like the champion trainer at Fonner Park training thoroughbreds uh, for about 15 years. And and the, the real philanthropic thing about Jeremiah's brother Hezekiah is after he trained these horses, he then, you know, once they had gotten tired and a little weary, he would then use them uh, in the Amish community to pull the wagons. Correct. So, I mean, he just had a really good, ch- he churned more than butter. He churned horses in the Amish community, and you know, for for Jeremiah to come out of that peaceful, wholesome, non-aggressive environment and end up a rough and tumble football player, uh, that that that's a testament to the way you were raised. A lot, a lot of, a lot of built-up aggression. The uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. If you were to describe how they play defense, like like how would you typify it? I would say that they are a. Fast downhill defense. Yeah, meaning that they want to get off the ball. They want to. They, they almost. It's almost like they want to pass rush first, then play the run, mm-hmm. so to speak. So they really want to get off the ball. Yeah. with downhill, quick hitting linebackers. Yeah, I haven't studied the secondary a lot yet. I just watched a little bit more of the, right. uh, their film today. Why um, I brought it up is because when I heard about the Saints last week, all through the week from the inside, a lot of it I heard was they're so aggressive on third down with third down certain situations. That when we strike, a great chance to strike is then. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly that was the the case week one against the Saints. Um, but but the Eagles seem to be. Uh, are they dramatically different than the Saints? I would say they're dramatically. They line up a little different. So again, I might be getting a little too technical here, but they're more of an under team, yeah. under defense. Four guys or five guys up on the line. Got it. With a nose and then cover the tight end. Whereas the Eagles are more of an even defense. Four mm-hmm. guys up on the line. Okay. Cover more of the guards. So I mean, their scheme wise, they're a little different. Yeah. Um. One thing that they they thrive on third and longs because they do have those pass rushers that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So I mean, though, that's the thing they want to they want to stop you on first and second down and get their pass rushers and turn those guys loose on third down. That's their big game plan. So. How do how do you get ready for games knowing that you at any time can play guard or tackle? Uh, for me, it's all about my preparation during the week. Um. I get I get reps throughout the week at all those positions, yep. some at left, some at right, during scout team, our periods, whenever. And then I just I watch a bunch of film. Yeah. Um, I watch guys that one thing that's nice about this point in the season is there's so much film of guys that like I've watched. Like I know like I like to watch guys that I know from like our division. So like I get to watch guys like Bobby Massey, who mm-hmm. I like well, I like at right tackle. Yeah. How did he match up against these guys? I get to go watch guys like Levitri from Atlanta, like, okay, how did he match up? Guys that I like to try and maybe style my game after, style like my type of play after. Right. I watched those guys on how they matched up against these guys and kind of what they did and their plan was, and then I incorporated that into what my plan would be against each individual. So that absolutely personifies copycat league. When people say it's a copycat league, so somebody starts throwing and doing A, B, and C, and then like next season, 10, the Wildcat. That's the mm-hmm. Tony Sperano with Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams and whatever with the Dolphins. 
went to Foxborough, unveiled the Wildcat as a major underdog, and beat Belichick. Yep. So then everybody started mixing in the single wing and stuff like that. But the true nature of the copycat league, and it's it's not pilfering something; it's it's doing your job mm-hmm. and and being you know doing proper research to get an advantage, is looking at some players you respect and how they handle certain players and and trying to play that way, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone goes into games. At least, I mean, we all like to go into games with our own plans. Like you have to have a plan against a against a player. You can't just go out there. For me personally, I would feel like I was out there naked if I didn't have a plan against the guy that I was going against. Yeah. So I write out a plan, like a guy like Brandon Sheriff, you can tell has, for the Redskins, has plans against players. Some guys he likes to jump set, get his hands on them right away. Other yeah. guys he likes to give them space, before, let them make the move first. I see. And so, I mean, it's just, it's a copycat wow. league in that respect, but at the same time, like, you have your own wrinkle that you'll throw into that. Yeah. So you'll be like, okay, he liked to do this, but I know my strength is X, Y, Z, so I'm going to do this a little differently. Yeah. And it's just every player knows and, like, knows their strengths, but at the same time, you got to know that they're looking on the other side of the ball. Yeah. Like, okay, well, what did... What did Mike Daniels do against Pat Fline that I might want to do against Pat Fline? Or what did Julius Peppers do against Rashad Hill? Or what did Mario Addison do? I mean, it just it, it, you can go down and write the list. They're doing the exact same thing. So the game of chess that happens during the week I love that. in the preparation is what you see on Sunday. But, Jeremiah, obviously people aren't you know hoping. or I mean, injuries happen in the NFL, mm-hmm. and, and you've had to bounce in. At like in that Washington game in 2016, I think you played multiple positions in that game, mm-hmm. or maybe like at Carolina or whatever. Was, yeah, Carolina. Right at Carolina, and in the Washington game, didn't you end up at left tackle? Yep. Right. So you're so all right. Now this is a big spot, and you know obviously the intensity is different than a regular season game. Absolutely. So you got like a Fletcher Cox on the inside and a Brandon Graham on the outside, and Chris Long on third on third and long third and Chris Long and stuff like that. So say you have to play multiple spots. Like, how can you possibly be prepared for that situation? It's just what I do during the week. It's the way I look at it. I mean, I so you look remember. at everything. Yeah, I, I try and I mean, I watch a lot of film and uh, I try and just watch as much as I can and just get a game plan. Like I remember, I had to go in uh, when Rashad went down against the Rams. I went in again on right tackle for a play. Yep. And I looked out and I was like, okay, there's Connor Barwin. He likes to do the bull rush on his third step or. Oh, there's Michael Brockers. He likes to, his go-to move is this X Y Z, and you and, can remember it with recall, right? I remember it. Like because... Connor Barwin played for the Eagles last year, mm-hmm. so you probably got ready for him when you were playing tackle. Yeah, and that's what makes it nice. Like guys in your division, like you really you playing these dudes twice a year, you really become familiar with these guys. Yeah, but they become familiar with you too. Yeah, and so like you got to change some things up every now and then. But yeah, I try and watch as much as I can during the week to be ready to go and back up all those guys. Come Sunday, you um have, have you? Fit, I think you started like ten games last year, yep. four this year, or whatever. Like, do you become familiar with these people where some people get under your skin and you just don't like them, or you end up going like, "Hey, Bobby, not Bobby, Bobby Massey, but uh, <laughs> hey, Connor, how you doing, Connor? Or hey, Mike for Mike Daniels or whatever." I mean, I don't necessarily know if it's like buddy buddy, but it's always you respect each other after the game. Like yeah. during the game, there's not a lot of like, "Oh, hey, what's up, man?" But yeah. like. After the game, you go up and you be like, "Hey, man, good game, good battle, like, yeah. good battle." And then they say something back to you like, "Yeah, good battle." Like, you really caught me with this, or like, "You wow. did this well." Like, it, it's the ultimate. It's the, when a, it's when, a respect. When it's a mutual, a when a player says something to you like Jeremiah, this with seven minutes to go in the third quarter was unbelievable. Very well done. I mean, you just like when you talk to players, and then like you see, like you respect them, and then you you can feel that mutual respect mm-hmm. back. It's just part of the game. I mean, yeah. and during the game, like it's all bullets are flying, live bullets, and you might say things you don't actually mean. 
every now and what then. What the hell's wrong with your right ring finger? Dude, you don't want to know. No, you're, I, was just, terrible. I was looking at your hands. I'm telling you, this finger... Your so- right ring finger is pointing east, where the rest of your fingers are pointing north-south. Yeah, this finger's a nightmare. I dislocated this finger, so it's my right... I'll tweet out a picture of it later. I... I dislocated You're such a millennial. I dislocated my right ring finger to where it was pointing towards my pinky, pulled oh. it back in, and I actually have a problem where it doesn't straighten. But so that didn't happen Sunday. No, this has been a couple of years now. It's oh just, my god! No, this is just how my hand looks all the time, and I'm I'll, I'll I'll send one out. But I, it actually it's bad. Like I've started becoming very conscious of it. If it was your middle finger, you could never flip anybody off. No, absolutely. And I'm glad it's like not giving my, directions. It's not my actual ring finger because oh, yeah. my wedding ring wouldn't fit. But yeah, it's well, how did it happen? Practice. I just dislocated it in practice, and then I remember I was looking. at it, I was like, it's not going straight. So this Super Bowl winning offensive lineman for the Giants, Bill Ard, who I had on like an hour ago, yeah. he, he doesn't get it when he says the millennial approach to current National Football League practice is is it's easier than it was when he played. Nah, man, you can get dislocated fingers. Dude, I don't care who you are. If you talk to someone who played 10-plus years ago, oh, you guys have it so easy. <laughs> it's so easy for you guys. Like, yeah. Bob Lertzma walks around the locker room, <laughs> bench farm Bob, and yeah. he's just like, oh, back in my day. And yeah, it's like, he, Bob, shut up. He's major back-in-the-day oh, guy. Bob lives in the back of the day. Yeah. I don't know if Bob even knows what year it is, but he knows <laughs> what he played. Hey, um, have, have you ever seen Linval Joseph mad? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, not competitively, I'm going to whoop your ass mad, but he, like, somebody accidentally chopped him or, or something happened where he just, like, got over the top mad. Um, I mean, I mean, we had he's a. He's got some gentle giant to He him. does. He's great. Love that guy. So do I. But at the same time, like, he's a guy that, like, you would never want mad at you. Yeah. Like, he, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you want him yeah. on your side when, yes. the, when the fists start flying? Yes. But I can't say I've honestly ever seen him right. to that point where he's just like, I'm going to rip your face off type mad. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen Linville at that point. Did Did you have trouble sleeping Sunday night after the miracle? Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't get my heart to calm down. Like, I, I took, we went out to dinner and like every So tw- you had no problem eating? No, I mean, I ate, but I was like shaking. But at the same time, like every 20 minutes, the skull chant would break out in the restaurant. Like someone would just start to skull and the You're whole, the the, everyone would just go nuts about it. You're the best. And then took my mom and dad to the airport, came uh-huh. home and my yeah. buddy was staying with us. And we just, we just sat there and we were just watching the news and just had a couple beers. And we're yeah. just like, this is unbelievable. Right. Like, like that really, like that all just happened in the last like two hours. Right. Like they're playing it over and over on TV. Yeah. And you're like, we were there. Like that just happened. Let me guess, Manny's. You no, went, no, we went to uh Freehouse. You've been to Manny's, right? Oh, love Manny's. That's pretty good. We went to Freehouse Freehouse downtown. Was it good? Pub, really good. It Excellent. was really, really solid food down there. So my wife's a foodie, so she likes to find all the little restaurants in uh, Minneapolis yeah. to go try out. Yeah, but is is being a foodie, is it like the Tom Brady approach to foodie? Gluten free, no red meat, no caffeine. You no. don't you don't get three hundred pounds by doing the Tom Brady diet. <laughs> Wait, your your weight begins with a three. It does begin with a three, which is a solid thing. You found a way to put on weight. I did it. God bless you. Best of luck in the NFC title game. Thanks for the time, and uh, we'll see you soon. Absolutely appreciate you guys. Jeremiah Searles in Studio 9 to Noon. Always enjoy that, breaking down the Eagles and uh, chatting about the Minnesota Vikings.